listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Man, I'm excited about uh, preaching today because I, I don't get to preach for two more weeks. So, if you, again, if you want to leave, you, 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 you can head out when you want. I'm going to preach. <laughs> so, my prayer throughout our series in the book of Acts for our church has been that we as a community would come to a fuller and deeper understanding of what Jesus has invited his church into. And I believe this, that, that sometimes in order for a church or an individual to find out where they're going, they first have to go back to where they came from. They first have to go back to their origins, to their beginnings. And that's what I love about the book of Acts because it gives us some insight in the beginning of the church. Ian mentioned today's Pentecost Sunday, and it's a time when we celebrate uh, the, the Spirit coming at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when we started our series way back then. And what Acts does for us is it allows us to, to recognize that the same Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and was operating in the book of Acts is available to us today. The same Spirit, God's Spirit at work in us and through us, guiding, leading, empowering us today. And so it's such an encouraging book. And what we find in the book of Acts is you have these group of Jesus followers, and they're trying to figure out how do we follow Jesus when he's not physically present? Because they were following him for three and a half years when he was present with them, but then he was crucified and he was resurrected, right? And he appeared to them for a number of days and then he ascended to heaven. And, and the book of Acts is the story of how do we do this? How do we follow Jesus? How do we, how do we uh, carry on and continue Jesus' ministry without him being physically present? And everything changes for them when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. And we find that these once kind of confused followers of Jesus are trying to figure out what this looks like under the guidance, direction, and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They start to find their way, and they start to figure out what being Jesus' witnesses looks like with, with him ascended to heaven. And so this is a, a really encouraging book for, for us, and that's why we spent five months as a church just kind of walking, walking through portions of it. We're going to continue our journey today in the book of Acts. The last few weeks, we've been looking at the different missionary journeys the Apostle Paul took. If you remember three weeks ago, we looked at his first missions trip back in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And then the last two weeks, we've walked through most of his second missions trip in Acts chapter 16 and 17. Today, we're going to read about his third missions trip. But before we do, I want to share one more missions trip experience that, that I, I got to participate in. So every week we've been going through Paul's missionary journeys and I've been sharing uh, a mission experience of my own. And three weeks ago I told you this time when I led some teenagers up into the remote village in the 
jungle village in the Dominican Republic, and we got to build the schoolhouse, and uh, I had my bag full of candy bars, and some of the kids there had never seen or eaten candy, was able to, to, to just bless them with that. And then there were a number of people who'd never heard of the Jesus story, so we got to share that with them and pray with them. It was a beautiful time. And then a, last week, I shared another missions trip story that I went on that was completely different from that one, and it was in Cali, Colombia. There was a church there that the church that I was on staff at at the time was helping and walking with. This church in Cali, Columbia had lost their pastor a couple years previous to my visit. Uh, a neighbor had hired a hitman to kill him and shot him dead in the street and also tried to, to uh, kill his wife and two daughters, but was unsuccessful with that. And so his wife was running the church and pastoring the church. Um, and so our church was kind of sending folks there uh, periodically just to kind of help and encourage. And, and that was a completely unique experience. When we went to, to that church, uh, it was a compound and it was guarded and gated 24 hours by guards just because of the amount of violence and threats uh, that were in a part of a dangerous part of the city. A very unique experience, very different than my Dominican Republic missions trip. Today I want to share another one that I went on. And I was part of a worship band that got to go spend a week in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, a really rough missions trip, right? Let's go to, go to Trinidad and Tobago. And we were part of a worship band, and we were going to play all these different churches on the island and, and kind of play in a few town halls and do some music and concerts and worship. And I remember we went to this one little church. It probably didn't seat more than 100 people. It was in this kind of a little town or a little village. And um, I remember it was really hot that day. We were setting up for like an early evening worship time. And we were setting up, and it was really hot. The windows didn't open. Really tiny space. And, and we weren't sure what to expect. Like, who's going to come to hear our worship and, and worship with us tonight? And sure enough, as soon as we started playing, the whole town came. And this little church that sat like about 100 people was flooded with at least 200 people. The aisles were packed. Like there was, it was a fire hazard like just waiting to happen. It was just jam-packed and it was so hot. And I, I myself, I have a, a little bit of claustrophobia. If I'm in a confined hot space with no airflow, ooh, I don't do very well. And so I remember thinking, whoa, whoa, like this, this place is packed. There were people actually standing outside the door who wanted to come in and worship with us. But I just remember feeling two things at the same time. Whoa, this is very uncomfortable because I'm claustrophobic and this is really hot and this is re- and it's really packed, like we're all jammed in together. Uh, and, but two, it was so beautiful to see this whole town come and worship with us. And I think that's something that will stick with me until the day that I die, is just experiencing this little town with the whole town coming out and we're worshiping and, and, and praising Jesus. It was such a powerful time. And all, all three of those experiences, and I have other mission trip experiences, but every single one is unique and different. And I say that to say that Paul's missions trips were very unique and different. Every city he went to was a different people, a different group of experiences, a different set of circumstances. He saw God move and the Spirit of God move in unique and special different ways. And his third missions trip is no exception. uh, We're going to dig into this and just kind of look at how unique it is. Let me quickly set the stage for the passage we're going to look at today, which is Acts 19. Uh, We didn't cover Acts 18, so I just want to briefly kind of set the, set the stage and walk through 18 really quickly. Um, in chapter 18, Paul finishes up his second missionary journey by visiting two cities, Corinth 
in Ephesus. And we got a map here, I think, that will show kind of where Corinth and Ephesus is and related to his journeys. And when he goes to Corinth, he meets this dynamic duo, this husband and wife team named Priscilla and Aquila. Catchy, catchy names, right? They probably found each other because their names rhymed. And so Priscilla and Aquila, he meets them, and he finds out that they're tent makers like he is. So we know from Scripture that the Apostle Paul was not just a minister, but he also made tents. It was a part of the way that he supplemented his income so he could do the mission work that he did. And he bumps into Priscilla and Aquila. They're tent makers like he is. And so in the beginning of chapter 18 of Acts, they become co-workers. They work together. They, they minister together in Corinth, and they make tents together in Corinth. Corinth. And so Paul and Priscilla and Aquila are bivocational when they're in Corinth, and they're there for a year and a half. Um, being bivocational is something I'm familiar with. In the 20-plus years that I've done occupational ministry, there's been several years when I've been bivocational, doing all kinds of jobs, and it's, it's, it's super challenging to be bivocational. Anybody here work two jobs? It's just super challenging, right? A couple of you work two jobs, super challenging. But the one thing that's beautiful about for a minister to be bivocational is it, it has a way of keeping somebody grounded because uh, you're, you're able to, to share Jesus in a different context than me preaching up front on a Sunday morning. And I can tell you in my bivocational opportunities, man, I got to share Jesus with so many people. I got to pray with my coworkers. I officiated funerals for my coworkers' families. Um, just so many opportunities. And so I love that Acts tells us that Paul was bivocational. That, yeah, he was ministering with Priscilla and Aquila and, and speaking and teaching about Jesus, but he was also tent making. So he was in the marketplace. And I think there's just something that we miss sometimes when we think about church, where we think it's just on a Sunday morning, but no, like the gospel in church is supposed to happen in the marketplace, right? Outside. So I love that Luke, the author of Acts, kind of lets us know uh, about that. Well, after a year and a half of Corinth together, here's what happens. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they decide to go to Ephesus. Now, when they get to Ephesus, Paul doesn't stay very long. He wants to go back to Antioch, his home church, and kind of recharge, regroup. This has been a long second missionary journey for him. And so he leaves Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to minister, and he goes back to Antioch, which is his home church, the sending church, and he stays there for a while before he starts his third mission trip. And his third mission trip starts out with him going back through Galatia and Phrygia and all the churches that he planted, and he's going back through and checking up on them, seeing how they're doing, encouraging them, teaching them. And while he's visiting all those churches, Acts chapter 18 tells us that a man named Apollos comes to Ephesus. Now remember, Paul left Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus to minister, but now there's this other guy, his name's Apollos, and Acts tells us that he was a very skilled Bible teacher, that he was teaching about Jesus. And Acts 18, verse 25 says this, he spoke with the fervor of the Spirit. Well, this, of course, got the attention of Priscilla and Aquila. They hear this guy, Apollos, and he's teaching about Jesus with the fervor of the Spirit. And so Acts 18, at the end of the chapter, it tells us that they invite Apollos to their house. And it says this, when they invited him to their house, it says this, they explained to him 
the way of God more accurately. What does that mean? Well, it's implying that although Apollos was very gifted and skilled in in teaching about Jesus and teaching the scriptures, that there was a few holes in his doctrine. For instance, we're told that Apollos only knew of John's baptism. Who knows what that means, John's baptism? Anybody know what that means? John the Baptist was baptizing people, right, before the ministry of Jesus, right? And his baptism was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism of preparation for the coming Messiah, for Jesus' coming, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. It, was a, it, was a, it, was a, it's, it wasn't a fulfillment baptism. It was a preparation baptism. So Apollos only knew about that. And so it appears that Priscilla and Aquilo, Aquila get Apollos up to speed on how baptism has taken on a new meaning in Christ. That it was a way now to identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. How many have witnessed baptism before? We do it. We have one coming up in August, which I'll talk about in my sermon. But in baptism, you get dunked in the water, right? And it's a symbol of identifying with Christ in his death and his burial. And then when you come out of the waters of baptism... It symbolizes Christ's resurrection, right? So when you go through baptism, you're identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a a commitment. It's saying, yes, I'm committing my life to Jesus. I'm going to identify with him publicly. One of the the metaphors I like to use about baptism is a wedding. We just had the royal wedding, right? So everybody's even if they didn't watch it, they're aware of it. And the whole world was looking at this wedding, right, as these two people said their vows. Now, I guarantee you it's Prince Henry and Meghan Markle, right? I guarantee you that before yesterday, they loved each other deeply. They were committed to each other, right? But there's something about a wedding which seals the deal, right? It's where vows are made publicly, right? And baptism is kind of the same way, that when we choose to follow Jesus, and we go through the waters of baptism, it's a public declaration of committing myself and putting a ring on it. I'm going to serve and love Jesus for the rest of my life. And so Apollos had to get up to speed that baptism had taken on this, this new, deep meaning. That it, wasn't, it was different from John's baptism. Interesting side note here. It says that both Priscilla and Aquila together teach Apollos this. It doesn't say that Aquila, the husband, was like doing the teaching with Apollos and Priscilla was just cooking food and making sure that they were taken care of. I'm being facetious, right? It says they both did it together. See, Luke, and we've noticed this in Acts, and time and time again, he's, he, he makes it a point to show how women were involved with the early church. In fact, when they list their names... Her name comes before his, which is really odd. It's Priscilla, her name, and Aquila. Well, I think it's Luke's way, the author of Acts, just to further drive home that point that, hey, women have a very important uh, role in in, uh, participation in the early church. Well, that brings us to Acts 19. We ready to dig into this text now? Two of you are ready, but that's all I need. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? Okay, here we go. Acts 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, 
Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. Now, this account is the only account we have in the New Testament of something that I'll call rebaptism. They, were, they, they knew of John's baptism, the baptism of repentance and preparation of a coming Messiah and God wanting to pour out his spirit. But now they're hearing for the first time, oh yeah, baptism now has this new fuller meaning of, of identifying with Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And they're sold immediately. They respond immediately. Now, I've done a few rebaptisms myself <laughs> in the sense that I've had folks who come to me and say, yeah, I was baptized as an infant. I was baptized as a young child, but I don't remember it because I was an infant. Or, or I was a, a young child and you know, my parents kind of just said I should do it or the church kind of just said I should do it. I didn't really understand it. Um, and so I've rebaptized, <laughs> in a sense, those folks. It's not common, um, but I think there's room for it scripturally. We definitely see... Uh, something like that going on here where there's a new, fuller, richer understanding. Now these men, these 12, are similar to Apollos in that they had some gaps in their understanding. It says they didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. They hadn't heard about the Holy Spirit yet. They didn't know that baptism had taken on this new depth and significance that was a way to identify with Christ and, and Uh, commit to following him. So they respond immediately. Paul baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And when Paul lays hands on them to pray for them, the gifts, a couple gifts of the Holy Spirit start flowing. They're they're speaking in tongues, they're prophesying, and they become aware and open to the Spirit of God at work in their lives. They become aware of it, which leads to a question worth directing at ourselves this morning, and, and that's this. Where do we see God's Spirit at work in our lives. Where do we... I want you to think about that because the rest of my message, we're going to be kind of coming back around to that. Where do we see God's Spirit at work in our own lives? Where do we find evidence of our lives being immersed in God's Spirit? Because this is what Paul's really asking them. See, when he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? When he asked them, what baptism were you baptized in? What he's really asking them is he's asking them, do you see God's Spirit at work in your lives? Do you see it? Do you see Him, the Spirit, at work in your lives? Now, we're going to step out of the Scripture passage just for a second and into some conjecture. This is not in Scripture what I'm going to share. I'm just, we're just kind of imagining and conjecturing. Suppose Paul comes, leaves there and comes back to Ephesus a year later, which we know he didn't, right? It gets conjecture. Suppose he comes back and he bumps into these 12 guys and maybe he's forgetful like me. It takes him a second to remember people. Oh yeah, I remember you, right? But but suppose he bumps into these 12 guys and says, hey, he asks them the same question. Hey, have you ever received the Spirit? And suppose they said to him, Paul, it's us, you remember? Last year, you asked us that same question. Remember? And then you told us about baptism and, 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 and... you prayed with us and baptized us. And, and remember, we, we, we spoke in tongues and we prophesied. And Paul would be like, oh, probably like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I, I remember now. I'm sorry, John, Eric, Doug, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, I remember, I remember now. 
But I would, again, conjecture and guess that Paul's next question would be this. What has God's Spirit been doing in your life since then? What has the Spirit of God been doing in your life since you believed? See, here, here's my thought and why I just kind of took, took a moment to conjecture with you. It's not so much what happens at baptism as much as what happens after baptism that matters most. See, their baptism here in this passage was a starting point, not an ending point. That our life in Christ, this is what this passage really unpacks for us, our life in Christ is more than just a single Holy Spirit event. It says that these 12 men followed Paul. Paul stayed in Ephesus for two and a half years ministering, and these 12 were with him. That this baptism event, this Holy Spirit event, was not a one-time thing that, they, that they, they just kind of said, oh yeah, remember when that happened? But there was a continual sense of God's Spirit. There was a continual sense of them being immersed and filled with the Spirit of God. It was a starting point for them, not so much an ending point. See, if the Spirit's work in our lives it, it can be limited to one or two Holy Spirit events we'd be missing the point of what the Spirit makes possible. Which is why the scriptures, you see that even in the book of Acts, that, that folks are filled continuously with the Spirit. They, you see the fruit of the Spirit. You see the gifts of the Spirit functioning on a consistent basis. So, so Paul stays in Ephesus for two and a half years after this. And, and here's where Acts 19 gets really wild, as, as if that isn't wild enough. During this time that he's in Ephesus, there's an interesting story about some men who performed exorcisms in the city of Ephesus. It starts in verse 11. Let's read this. It says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Listen to this bit. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that, he had, that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, say that seven times really fast, seven sons of Sceva, seven sons of Sceva. A Jewish Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What? <laughs> That's crazy. Verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear in the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. And when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, in order to like dig into this section of scripture, this is where a little background about Ephesus comes in handy. So Ephesus was one of the main hubs of culture and commerce in Western Asia. It was the biggest city in Asia Minor. It was also one of the centers for the Roman Empire's communication network because there were so many land 
uh, routes and sea routes. Ephesus was also a huge tourist city. It housed one of the great wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis. And so it was a very superstitious culture. It was a center for, for magic and for the dark arts. And so it's really not too surprising that God performed numerous miracles through Paul at Ephesus. One translation says this, they were mighty works of no ordinary character. (laughs) They were unusual miracles. Hey guys, I'm telling you, when you have an apron that you wear and then it touches somebody who's sick and they get healed, that is weird and unusual. (laughs) Right? That is not common. But I believe this, that, that God was refusing to be overshadowed by the city's magicians, which is probably why he used aprons and handkerchiefs. It was probably God's way of saying, like, you think that's impressive? Hold my beer. No. <laughs> near beer. Hold my near beer. That's it. But it, the, the people are getting healed, diseases of diseases, and casting out evil spirits. And then if that's not strange enough, aprons and handkerchiefs, probably, probably the apron that Paul wore making tents, maybe. I don't know. I don't think he wore an apron to preach in. I don't have an apron. I should get an apron. <laughs> After, as strange as that is, there's a strange story about seven sons of Sceva. And Sceva was some sort of Jewish priest. He and his sons were in the exorcism business in Ephesus. That was their job. So it was a family business, and they performed exorcisms. And they saw how effective Paul's message of Jesus was, so they decided we should try this out at work. And there's no you know, record that they knew Jesus. And says, in fact, it says they invoked his name because they just thought, oh, maybe if we use this in a formula, Paul teaches about Jesus really powerful. Like he sends aprons and hankies and powerful things. Maybe we could just kind of use that. It's one of our tools. And, and so they do that. And they were saying this, in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. I command you to come out. And in and, and, and Acts chapter 19, they try that, and it just backfires terribly. The evil spirit replies, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? By the way, if you're performing an exorcism and, and you hear that, that's not good. <laughs> you see the, like, the scary horror exercise in movies? You get the priest in there, and you just know it's coming. <laughs> and, and sure enough, that's what happens in the text is the the man just jumps on them, and it's just crazy story. He beats them to a pulp. And they run out of the place, like, naked and bloodied and beaten. And it, it says here in Acts that it brings a whole new level of respect for Paul's, Paul's teaching about Jesus, that there were many who, who practiced sorcery, that, that came to believe in Jesus, and they repented of, of this kind of counterfeit spirituality, and they took all their scrolls and incantations and spells, and they burned them. It says the value is 50,000 drachmas. Uh, a drachma was equivalent to a day's wage, and so it was 50,000 days of wages. And so here is this, like, this very, very unique act of physical repentance. You don't read about anything like this happening in a, anywhere else in the New Testament. So it's a very unique uh, act, physical act of repentance. And it says the word of the Lord spread. Man, Ephesus is just one of those. It's just unique, right? Just by looking at this passage. So let me close with this. What in the world do we do with all this? How do we even remotely kind of apply this passage to our life today? Um, I don't have aprons. I, how do we do this? Well, 
I'm going to attempt to lead us into some application by asking us all three questions. And then we'll, we'll close with uh, some worship and prayer. Does that, that sound okay? Ready for these three questions? Here we go. First question. First question is this. We'll, we'll kind of walk through Acts 19 together. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus yet? See, when Paul was going on his missionary journey, and he's traveling through these cities, that's his first question. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus yet? So maybe perhaps you're here this morning and you believe in God. You're obviously in church, so something's going on, right? You, you, you want to live a life of awareness and openness to God's Spirit, but maybe you just haven't taken that step of making Jesus Lord of your life yet. Maybe today's that day. You know, like Paul bumps into these 12 guys in Ephesus in the beginning of the chapter, and he has this unique conversation with them, and they respond immediately to that. Maybe there's something in your heart that's saying, yeah, maybe today's the day to respond to that. So that's question number one. Question number two, and this is for those who've already taken that step. You've already made Jesus Lord of your life. Question number two, how are you living that out? How are you living that out? Have you been baptized yet? Maybe there's some folks here who say, you know what, I haven't been baptized. Like, I, I believe believe in God, I, I believe in Jesus and the Son of God, and that he, he died and rose again, and, and he washes away my sin, and, and yeah, I, I need to put a ring on it. I need to like go public with my, my faith in Christ, and I need to identify with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. Um, August 5th, we're going to have an outdoor service at Oak Ledge Park. Uh, we've rented the pavilion on the far end over by the tennis courts and the treehouse. Who's been to the cool treehouse before Oak Ledge? There's a killer treehouse there. It's like, we could probably have church in that treehouse. It's just enormous. But we've got the pavilion over there. We're going to have an outdoor service on Sunday morning, August 5th. We'll have a picnic together as a church. And then we're going to do baptism right there in the lake. And hopefully we need to pray, start praying now, that that lake is warm (laughs) for us August 5th. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, man, I really need to pray and consider that. How am I living that out? If you have been baptized, are you continuing to live a life immersed in the Spirit? Immersed in God's Spirit. Can, can you see and can you recognize God's Spirit at work in your life? Or are you, are you looking back an event that happened way long time ago and say, oh yeah, I remember when God's Spirit, I had that encounter and God's Spirit, like, was that work in my life? How regularly are you experiencing and filling you? Immersing you. So maybe you're here this morning and you just need a fresh filling. It's, you know, you're, you're coming out of season morning. It's just been a long spell. You haven't seen, you haven't recognized God's spirit at work in your life in a while. Like, man, I just, I, I want to I experience that again. I want to be immersed in God's spirit. I want to be, maybe you need a fresh filling of, of, of God's spirit. I want to pray for you this morning. Third question. So this third question is for those of you who have entrusted your life to Jesus you recognize God's spirit at work in your lives, and you want to minister to others. So that's who this question's for. Last question. Are you leaning on the power and authority that comes from knowing Jesus? See, what's so interesting about this story of these seven sons of Sceva is they were invoking the name of Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And so they lacked the power and authority they needed, Right? So they thought, if I just pray right, if I just pray the right, right words, if 
I can just invoke the name of Jesus as a formula, then, then, then stuff will happen. So for us as believers and people who follow in the way of Jesus, are we leaning on the power and authority that comes from knowing Jesus? I'll ask it this way. Do you think hell knows your name? Jesus I know. Paul I know about. Who are you? You ever feel just like beat up and buffeted? And say, oh, if I could just get somebody to pray the right prayer over me, I could come out of that season. Well, Maybe. But really, a power and authority we have comes from knowing Jesus. It's not so much that we pray the right formula or pray the right prayers. It's that we know the one we're praying to. Right? So maybe you're here this morning and, and um, you just like some more confidence and courage that, yeah, I just, I just need to get more connected and, and grow in my knowledge of God and, 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 and know Jesus. So every service at Church of the Well, when we close our service time, we have a, a a couple folks up here in the front, who you'll see them with a lanyard on. It'll just say prayer team. And these are folks who love to pray with people. And so if you're here this morning and, and maybe you're here and you, you want to entrust your life to Jesus, man, come and just share that with someone. Come and pray with someone. Um, talk with someone about that. Secondly, if you're here and you... Our, our challenge this morning, you say, man, I don't know if I've just been living that out really well. You, you've, you've responded by making Jesus Lord of your life, but you're like, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm walking in that, living that out. Man, come forward and get some prayer. Pray with some people so you can see God's Spirit at work in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're here this morning and you think, okay, yeah, I've made Jesus Lord of my life. I recognize God's Spirit at work in my life on a continual, regular basis. But I, I, I want to I wanna be able to lean on the power and authority that comes from knowing Jesus. Pray with someone today. We're going to have folks up here to pray with you. And if you, if you want prayer for anything else, a family member that's on your heart, uh, a sickness that you, you, you want to ask God to heal you of, uh, whatever it is, we want to make that front available for prayer. We have folks up to, to pray. Uh, with us. So why don't we do this? Why don't I close us in a prayer? We'll have the worship team come up. We'll sing a worship song together. And then, of course, anyone who wants prayer, please come up and just kind of do that. Don't, don't, don't leave today if, if, if God's pulling at your heart, right? Respond. So let's pray. God, this book of Acts has been one that's been encouraging for me, also really challenging. Because it makes me aware of just how much your spirit was working and ministering through the church and through these individuals' lives in such unique ways that were kind of unexpected. And Lord, if I'm honest, I just confess I don't see enough unexpected in, in my life. So God, I, I pray you would help me and help my friends here to trust the Holy Spirit more. Lord, I pray for those of my friends that are here, Lord, that um, you're right on the edge of making that decision to make Jesus Lord. God, would you give them the courage and the confidence to step out and respond in that? Lord, for others here, there's some who have made Jesus Lord of their life, but they, they can't see or recognize a lot of evidence of God's Spirit at work in their life. They just don't feel like they're living it out really well. God, would you meet them today as well? As we worship, God, as they come and receive prayer, or you would give them a fresh filling. 
of your spirit. And Lord, we pray for those who want to lean on the authority and power that comes from knowing you. And maybe they just lack of boldness and courage and confidence. But Lord, that doesn't come from our own abilities and strength. That comes from you. And so, Lord, we pray for everyone here, Lord, who, who needs to lean on the power and authority that comes from knowing you. God, that they would have the boldness and courage to do so. And that they would connect to you. That they would grow in their knowledge of you. Lord, so that we can be ministers. That we can reintroduce Jesus to ourselves more effectively and we can reintroduce Jesus to others more effectively. So Lord, we know that this is your work. This is not a work we do on our own. And so we just uh, make an invitation for you. Lord, as we worship you, as we pray, God, we ask that you would provide us with everything that we need. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory. It all belongs to you. Amen. Let's stand up and we'll worship together. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.